Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, December 2nd, 2019. On today's episode of the show, we're going to have a spoiler-filled conversation about Watchmen Episode 7, titled An Almost Religious Awe. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film writer Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. Chris, let's just start with general impressions of this episode right at the top. So, and, and again, this is a spoiler-filled conversation, and boy, what... I mean, there are so many spoilers that this episode dropped, but uh, what did you think about this episode in comparison to some of the more recent episodes? Uh, I loved it. I, I feel like every week I'm at a point where I'm like, wow, that was the best episode. I think the only episode I didn't think was phenomenal, even though I thought it was good, was episode, I want to say four yeah, or five. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. But everything, like... Uh, this episode, um, uh, man, it's it's all about that ending, really. But even before we get to that ending, there's a, there's so much like weirdness going on in this episode. I mean, for, on one hand, it fills in a lot of blanks about Angela's backstory. On the other hand, there's like so much strangeness going on. There's the whole you know Adrian Veidt stuff, which just gets stranger every week, and then there's an elephant, which I don't know what the hell that was about. I don't know. But this episode, man, like I, I watched this episode on last Monday because I wanted to get my review in before Thanksgiving. And the moment it was over, I immediately just wanted to like shout about it. But of course, no one else had seen it. So I had to like, just wait around for everyone to get blown away by what happens. Yeah, well, and and we're going to talk about it. Uh, actually, let's just go ahead and dive into that final reveal. So Cal Abar is Dr. Manhattan. Um, I, I've been doing these uh, like post-episode discussions with Dave Chen, who hosts the Slash Filmcast. And on our first one, he uh, somebody in the chat room was theorizing that Dr. Manhattan might be Cal. They might be the same person. And at the time, I sort of like rolled my eyes at that and was like, that that would be so ridiculous. 
what do you make of this, Chris? Do you do you feel like this is um, a cheat? Do you think this is a, a justified thing that they've laid enough groundwork for this? Do you think that uh, some of the the backstory has to be filled in later on f- for you to be fully on board with it? Where where are you sitting in this whole Cal is Doctor Manhattan thing? I mean, I I loved it. On I don't think it's a cheat per se. I do think the show. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Have they mentioned? Cal's accident before this episode. I really don't remember them talking about that. They did one time. I think uh, Angela and Cal were sitting on a couch, if I remember right. And it's just, she says something like, literally, she just says something like, yeah, about, you know, something about, did she ask about your accident? Maybe it was about when Lori Blake came over. But they didn't didn't mention, like, that he had amnesia. And I... yeah, so that on, on I I could see that sort of coming across as a cheat. At the same time, the show has done such a good job of keeping Cal off screen. Mm-hmm. Like I was I was starting to think like why did they cast this actor? Because you know while while he's not super famous, he's pretty well known. And I was like, man, what a wasted opportunity! Like they have him in this sort of thankless role and. The moment they revealed it, I was like, "Oh, now I know why why he's in the show." Um, I know I'll admit I didn't see this coming at all. Um, the I, the way the show was building up, I actually thought they were trying to hint that like Angela was Doctor Manhattan. I went and like there's like that whole conversation she has with Lady True. I was like, "Oh my God, are they gonna make her Doctor Manhattan in disguise?" If if so, that's dumb. And I'm glad they didn't do that <laughs> because that would have felt like a cheat to me. But I think making it Cal makes sense and i do i'm very excited to see (laughs) how they explain all this yeah i loved the the way that that reveal is sort of slowly confirmed and and your suspicions as an audience member are slowly confirmed as the episode goes on so like you start to maybe slowly suspect and then by the time angela is standing in her kitchen with that hammer and just beats the hell out of her husband it's such it's such like shocking imagery and and uh it's so like graphic too. I mean, it's like that hammer is digging into his forehead and she's like pulling out this hydrogen uh, symbol. It's like, I mean, what the hell? This, this show, man, it never ceases to uh, to amaze me and impress me. And also, you know, I think part of the reason why I was so hesitant about that uh, Cal was Dr. Manhattan theory so many weeks ago was I was I already suspected that Hooded Justice might be Will or that Will might be Hooded Justice. And I was like, I don't know if the show is going to make you know, two prominent uh, hero characters, black, in in a way that, um, you know, subverts the expectations from people who read the graphic novel. I, I figured one might be, um, I don't know, like, in keeping with what they've done and what they've explored thematically with the show, but I thought two might be, like, uh, I don't know, overkill to some degree, but I guess, I, mean, I don't know. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, like I said, I didn't suspect this was going to happen, but... I was reading some, uh, you know, stuff online last night, you know, and some people were pointing out things that do a really good job of underlining how they've they've been setting this up. I mean, for one thing, you know, I obviously caught this, but I didn't realize it was it was applying Cal. But, you know, there's that, you know, the first time Angela meets Will, he gives her that whole spiel about Dr. Manhattan hiding out as a human. Mm -hmm. And, you know, her reaction is like, oh, he can't do that. But. Obviously, she knows he can do that. And later, like Cal brings that same thing up to her. And that and I think it's like the same episode of the episode after that. And she pauses for a minute when he brings it up. And then she immediately like makes him correct himself and say, 
oh right he can't do that and so like that's sort of like a subtle way and another thing that i didn't even think of until i read this is that there's that episode where the kids are talking about if judd went to heaven or not and cal gives them this really like cold-hearted answer where he's like ah heaven doesn't exist and at the time i was like what a like dark thing for this guy to be telling these kids but when you think about it, that's the kind of way that like Dr. Manhattan talks in the comics about how, you know, there is no afterlife and, and so on. And like, I was like, Oh, that's such a clever way of sort of hinting at who he really is that I completely didn't catch. Yeah. And I think, you know, part of my, um, uh, hesitancy to embrace that theory early on was because I was under the impression that, uh, that the theory was suggesting that Cal knew he was Dr. Manhattan, that, that it wasn't like a full reveal to that character that he was like, uh, purposefully hiding as this character, but that's not really the case. And that, that I, that, uh, scene you just mentioned of, of Cal sort of laying out the afterlife to those kids, that sort of sounds like something that Dr. Manhattan would say, but maybe, it's almost like like Cal was pulling from the subconscious Dr. Manhattan within him to deliver that speech, you know, because it doesn't necessarily sound like something that Cal would say. Does that make sense? <laughs> right. Know. No, yeah. I think it's like his Dr. Manhattan subconscious coming through. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm just like listening back in my own head about what I was saying earlier, where it seems like, I, I don't know, I guess for people who haven't been listening to us talk about this show for since the beginning you might have heard me talk about how there are two black characters who are heroes in this show and and maybe think that i think that's too much that's not what i mean at all i just i didn't know that the show would do would be so revolutionary to to make two huge characters uh superheroes i have no problem with this on like a moral level or anything so just to clear yes. there but uh okay so uh, this raises a lot of questions for me obviously um one of them is does the seventh cavalry know cal's identity i think the answer is yes right because we see them like scoping out the house at the very end when angela runs home to confront cal how did they figure out that it was him do are are, are the pieces there for us to be able to put that information together yet or do we not know that yet um yeah so if they do know it he's dr manhattan i think the only way they could possibly know that is it's something that happened during the white knight attack, because as we saw in the flashback, you know, the, the seventh cavalry breaks into the house and Cal literally like disappears from the scene and Angela sort of passes out and she doesn't really know what happened. So I'm guessing something happened off screen that I'm sure they'll show us eventually, either in the next episode or the final episode that sort of gave away that Cal is Dr. Manhattan. That's the only thing I can think of. It's the only thing, other or there's just something I'm not putting together. Yeah, and and the White Knight thing is interesting too because uh, according to the Pedipedia materials, Cal has been Doctor Manhattan since at least 2009, somewhere around there. Because there is a uh, a doctor's note basically that right. uh, that lays out um, what happened to Cal. Basically, like Angela discovers him on the streets of Vietnam, and this uh, doctor's note is dated, I think, December 23rd, 2009. We know that the White Knight happened on Christmas Eve, 2017. And the the rest of the show is taking place in 2019. So um, 
it's been you know it's been quite some time and and it seems like it said uh, Cal used to work for a company called Pyramid Global Construction, which I thought was a nice touch to the way that Dr. Manhattan, you know, just like creates uh, or, or created all the structures on Mars back in the comic. Um, there's a, a funny little bit in that uh, piece about how he, Cal, who doesn't remember anything at that point, took great interest in the doctor's uh, Dr. Manhattan bobblehead that's in the doctor's office. So I thought that was funny, but. Um, yeah, it, it's like, you know, I don't think we're meant to assume that Dr. Manhattan, you know, broke out of Cal's body and, like, used his powers to protect Angela on that night. But, yeah, maybe there's some sort of, somehow, that that uh, that true version of him revealed himself to the 7th Cavalry, and, and maybe we can assume that Senator Keene was one of the guys wearing the masks during that actual thing. We, we've seen that he's not afraid to actually you know, get his hands dirty. It seems like he he is willing to sort of mix it up and, and get in there um, instead of just, you know, uh, petting a cat and sitting in a chair, you know, from from on high. So, uh, yeah, lots of questions about the White Knight. And, and with two episodes left, I hope they, they answer a, a lot of those. Um, Dave Chen pointed out that this episode structure sort of mirrors the Dr. Manhattan issue of the Watchmen comics, where it sort of rapidly flashes back and forth through time. What did you make of the way that this episode included like the editing style of this episode like you know there's a lot of little flashes of moments of um not just angela's backstory because we get a decent uh, percentage of that in this episode but also like within those stories there are tons of little flashes of will's backstory and all of these you know this this compounding history for all these characters what did you think about the way that this episode was put together like that yeah, I, I really like that. So Angela, she's coming down from the nostalgia drug and Lady True's giving her this weird treatment, which we'll talk about, where she's hooked up to an elephant, which, again, I don't know what that is. <laughs> but um, as a result, her own memories are coming back while also blending with the, the memories that uh, Will's memories that she still has. It's really interesting that, you know, based based on the trailer for next week's episode, these three episodes in a row are very flashback heavy. I mean, the last episode was all about Will's flashbacks. This episode, while not all about, but a big chunk of it is Angela's flashback. And now the next episode is going to have a, you know, a flashback about how Dr. Manhattan became Cal. And it's really, I can't think of a show that's done this where it has like three episodes in a row right near the end that are all about like backstory. And, a part of me is almost like what a that's kind of like a lazy way to approach your mysteries, but it is unfolding in such a fascinating, captivating way that I can't really complain about it. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a unique thing. I can't think of anything that's done anything remotely close to that. But if anybody has any uh, off the top of your head, feel free to send us an email at peter at slashfilm.com and let us know. Um, let's talk about Lady True, the Millennium Clock, and Bian. Uh, she, we've thought that this character was Lady True's daughter. It, it is confirmed that she is actually her mother. I think we maybe mentioned that briefly on as a possible... Uh, theory that I'd seen floating around. Um, so before we get into the rest of it, what did you make of that reveal, Chris? Because I, I knew that there was some sort of reveal in this episode before I watched it. And when that happened, I was like, oh, that must be the big reveal that everybody's talking about. <laughs> Little did I know that, that the uh, yeah. whole Dr. Manhattan thing was yet to come. But what did you make of that? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it has been hinting at that. At one point, I thought this character was Lady True's clone. Like she wasn't actually her daughter. She was a clone of her, but she's actually a clone of her mother. 
And I pretty much assumed that was the case when I think it was the last episode we recorded. You pointed out there's an article in on PDpedia where it mentions that Lady True's mother is named Bianne. So I was like, oh, that's who she's a clone of. And when they pointed it out this week, it was just like, yep, that's that's there's your confirmation of that. Um, I don't I don't know what to make of it at first. I mean, I feel like her explanation, Lady True's explanation is both amusing and also too vague where she's like, oh, I'm about to achieve my life's work. Why wouldn't I want to have my parents here? That also sets up. There's probably going to be a reveal about her father, which I can't figure out what that would be. Um, at, at one point, I was thinking that we had talked about that flashback in the Watchmen comic where the where uh, the comedian shoots a Vietnamese woman who's pregnant and Dr. Manhattan maybe saves the baby. But I forget what it was, but I, I was reading up and something about Lady True's actual backstory doesn't line up with that theory. So that mm. theory can't be correct. So I don't know who her father is going to be. Yeah. So the whole thing about, um, you know, is it wrong to want my parents with me when I achieve my life's work? Like, uh, before we get into the father thing, just about Lady True herself for a second, what do you, you know, she says that she has this secret plan to save humanity. I don't really know if we know the full extent of her plan yet. That That is not fully clear to me anyway. What do you think about Lady True as a uh, a potential force for good in this world because she, you know, like you, you're kind of saying, like, you know, there's something a little bit kind of maybe sweet about like the idea of wanting her parents to be with her and and to see her achieve this this huge thing, whatever it may be. But there's also something a little off about it too. Like I, I can't decide if Lady True is indeed this sort of savior figure or if there is another shoe yet to drop where we learn more about her and, and discover that she's more of a super villain than a superhero. What do you think about Lady True so far? Yeah, I can't quite pin her down. I mean, this episode, up until now, I was convinced she was just 100% bad. And this episode sort of, you know, reverses that. I, I kind of think she's just very blunt. She's sort of like a better version of Adrian Veidt in that she's willing to do... <laughs> what needs to be done to get things done, but she's not willing to kill 6 million people to do it. She's like, if Adrian Veidt used his powers for good rather than straight up murdering people, I think that's, this is who he would be, but I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure yet. Well, it's interesting that you say that because I want to jump into a crackpot corner for a brief theory here, because when I was watching this episode, I was taking notes and there's this moment where she's talking about, you know, hoping that her, her parents are with her and, uh, that's why she's basically like infusing her daughter with her mother's memories. And then I think Angela says something along the lines of like, where is your dad? Is he here yet? Or is he here? And, and Lady True says not yet, but he will be. And, uh, I, I wrote in my notes, is Adrian Veidt her father? Because Ooh. of the stuff that you were just talking about, the, the fact that she's clearly reveres that character. I'd been wondering, you know, since the beginning, if there was some extra deal, some sort of extra relationship between those characters in terms of like, uh, you know, she we know that she bought Vite's company. But was that, you know, is she actually just this, you know, uh, genius kid who who became like a, a business guru and swooped in and purchased this company because Vite left or, or was taken away or whatever? Or was was there something a little bit more to that acquisition of that company? Um, 
do we know, you know, what what Adrian Veidt's uh, final plan is going to be? And I think, you know, the, the downside to this plan is that uh, Lady True does not appear to be half Asian. Like, I, I'm not, you know, visibly, uh, I'm not sure if if that really works. Um, but maybe the show could sort of cheat a little bit and get away with it. There's also a chance that maybe she's adopted. Maybe Adrian Veidt adopted her. But I feel like for the show to mention Lady True's father this late in the game, they can't, I don't know, it would be very difficult for them to introduce a whole nother character for that to be. So in my mind, it has to be somebody that we know already. And Vite, to me, makes the most sense. I think there's also, um, you know, like like gaming this out a little bit and thinking about it a little bit more, The what we've seen of Vite, where he uh, is on the moon of Jupiter, he like breaks through the force field and spells out, save me D, what if it's Save Me Daughter? And because we know that Lady True had a, a satellite that was looking at that planet, I think a lot of us were talking about, you know, maybe it's Save Me Dr. Manhattan or something along those lines. But the the show, the visual language of the show makes it very clear that the message he's sending is going to a, a true industry satellite. So, uh, you know, with that connection in mind, maybe that has something to do with it too. I also saw a theory online um, somebody say that uh, maybe Adrian Veidt himself is the thing that falls on that farm property as he comes back to Earth. So I thought that was really interesting that maybe that's why Lady True bought that uh, that farmland out from underneath that family. Um, what do you think about that, Chris? You know, I feel like an idiot because I didn't even think of this, but it makes a lot of sense if he's her father. I mean, she has that statue of him and the statue is like, old looking and she talks about how you know from her culture they respect their elders and that would like the only thing that makes me think it might not be true is like you said um uh lady true isn't half vietnamese i mean hong chow the actress isn't half Vietnamese. both her parents are vietnamese so they would they would have to cheat somehow or explain she's adopted to get around that or maybe they would just want to dress it at all i don't know but Beyond that, it does make a lot of sense, and I feel like an idiot for not thinking of it myself. <laughs> um, all right, so does Bian, do, does she know Cal's secret identity, do you think? Because is that why she was so adamant about not letting him in? Like, Cal rolls up to the Millennium Clock and is trying to see Angela. And Bian, I've always thought that there's something maybe a little... Uh, untrustworthy about that character she always seems to be scheming a little bit there's there's this little smirk that kind of uh surfaces here and there and i'm always wondering like is there more going on beneath the surface with this character than what we're actually seeing so do you think that she knows that cal is dr manhattan and that's part of the reason why she didn't want to let him onto that property yeah i had that same thought and i i don't know I, i can't figure out what this character's end game is because she has that whole thing where she's asking Angela all these questions but then she says it's like just for some like like report she's working on it has nothing to do with anything and even that I was like what is going on with this character so yeah. I don't I don't really know that was really interesting because it was like she was giving Angela a Rorschach test and and it was like for, for what purpose I'm not sure and I was wondering if she was trying to like break down Angela's psyche and and sort of like gain her trust to I don't know, like for her own nefarious means, maybe I, I couldn't figure out exactly what was going on there. So I'm guessing we're going to learn a little bit about uh, more about uh, that character and, and what her 
uh, potential endgame might be as the show comes to a close. Um, let's talk about the elephant thing. So Angela learns that the natural host that has been feeding her these memories is not Will like she suspected, but is an elephant. And, and Chris, I know you've uh, expressed some you know WTF-ness about this idea a couple times on this episode already. Uh, do you have any guesses at all as to you know what the hell is going on here? Absolutely not. I can't. I was so befuddled when this happened. She, you know, she kicks on the door. She thinks Will is behind the door, but no, it's a sleeping elephant. And I, I can't for the life of me figure out why they, there's an elephant there and why she's hooked up to it. I just, I'm like, <laughs> I am completely unsure of what this means. So there are a couple things and I, I certainly don't have all the answers, but I, I thinking about it a little bit, like there's this phrase, an elephant never forgets. And I, I think you know, that... I had that thought too, but that's like <laughs> not, that's not like a real, it's just a saying, like, it's not like a scientific thing. I don't know. I need to look into that. I wonder if elephants do have, you know, like a, a scientifically proven longer memory than a lot of animals, because I, I feel like that is a, it is definitely a saying. It's definitely something that appears in like, um, you know, like fables and stuff like that. But I, I feel like there, there may be a basis in, in reality there. Um, and if that's the case, then an elephant as this giant natural creature that uh, you know, has the capacity to remember a lot of things. It, maybe it makes a lot of sense to, as a natural yeah. host for, uh, as like a, a memory bank, essentially, for whatever the hell Lady True is working on there. So I'm, I'm looking this up on Scientific America. Um, so uh, elephants ha have very good recall for faces. That's what that saying comes from. Hmm. Um, so if they, they have bad eyesight, but they're able to recognize each other basically like if they see one elephant they'll recognize the same elephant like years later and that's what that saying apparently comes from interesting okay also well, it says elephants apparently recognize and can keep track of the locations of as many as 30 companions at a time so it, it's really all about the pack i guess hmm. so no Elephants do forget stuff, Ben. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I, that, that's I was grasping for straws there. That's one of the only things I could think of. Um, we do know that there's a lot of elephant imagery in the show, just in subtle ways throughout that. Uh, I think they, what do they call it? A vivarium, the the um, basically like the chambers within the Millennium Clock where Lady True and and Bien live. Um, there's a lot of elephant stuff you know, subtly seeded throughout. And uh, we saw it a few episodes ago. There's like paintings and little sculptures. Uh, in this episode, Bien is wearing a very, very small, I think it's a green elephant necklace that you can like barely see. Um, so there's a lot of elephant imagery there. And I know that like the elephant as an animal has a lot of uh, cultural significance in Vietnam. So I, I, you know, at first I was just wondering if it was, if that was all there was to it. But yeah, this whole, elephant having the memories thing um yeah also the um the true the lady true logo all this time we've been like oh it's a t but that actually looks like an elephant's face with the tusks coming out of the side which oh wow I just, yeah i need to look I, that I, up uh that yeah. is that's pretty wild um Wow. Oh, yeah, it does. Man, I will drop a link to that in the show notes for people. That's what the... it's been there the whole wow. time. Yeah. OK. Even though uh... we still don't know what it means. <laughs> yes. OK. Uh, all right. So let's talk about Adrian Veidt. Um, the show just sort of uh, transitioned into a legal drama now. So we, we didn't see him in the last episode, but uh, we, we roll in to um, 
whatever moon of Jupiter it is, and uh, we we rejoin the action on day 365 of the People versus Adrian fight, which I, I loved the comedy of this scene, like how all of it was uh, you know was was played out and basically the, like in such serious uh, you know court official terms, and then but it was just like so goofy, like there there was one part where whoever it was, Mr. Phillips, who was announcing everything, was like alias Ozymandias, alias Master, like I just there were so many moments like that where I just sort of broke out into laughter like how how is this happening this whole thing seems like a total farce um what did you think about this court sequence Chris um I loved it I love the way it played out um I love that it gave I think her name is Sarah Vickers the actress who plays Mrs. Crookshanks a real opportunity to sort of like break out and have a big scene because she really sells that scene as as the uh prosecutor and um, on one level, it's it's so goddamn goofy because, you know, the, like a bunch of pigs run in yeah. and Adrian Veidt farts. It's like, what is going on with this? At the same time, I get the impression that he really wants to be convicted because it's all part of his plan. Because on one hand, after Miss Crookshanks gives that, you know, rousing speech about how he should be convicted, she like winks at him like she's sort of like, ah, it's all going according to the plan. And he doesn't offer any sort of defense at all. So I don't know why he wants this, but it, to, you know, it's clear to me that he wants to be convicted, although I can't figure out why. And then he sheds that single tear. So it's like, what is going on this, this show? Man. <laughs> so, so the fart joke worked for you. Is that, is that fair to say? You know, I'm, I am not big on fart jokes. Anytime a movie or a show uses farts, I tend to have a knee jerk reaction of like, all right, we don't need this, but I can handle, I can handle them in small doses. And I, 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 I'm on one hand, I really hate that. It's clearly like a really obvious, uh, Foley farts that I've, I'm pretty sure I've heard in like a million comedies. Like I wish it's like, really, they couldn't splurge and get a new fart sound for this episode. (laughs) But beyond that, I, I'm all right with it. Yeah. I think I'm right there with you. I I generally like as a rule, don't really appreciate them, but I I think it's just so out of place and so strange in the show that I I think I'll just give it the benefit of the doubt this time, but uh, watch yourself, Watchmen. No more fart jokes. Yeah. You get one, you get one a season. You can't do any more. Yeah. Um, so, that tear at the end of that sequence from Adrian Veidt is really interesting to me. Like, does he know that a guilty verdict maybe sentences him to be killed and flung back down to earth? Like, is he crying because he won't be alive when he makes it home and he thought that he would be if he was able to escape? Um, maybe, like, I guess separately, like, will Lady True be able to clone or revive him so he can be present for that great achievement that she's talking about like does she already have him maybe like you know it did all of this happen so long ago that um by the time he actually comes back to earth if that is indeed what happens uh does she have him in that millennium tower and and has had him for a while and has maybe been either like growing a clone and implanting him with with his own memories or what, I don't know. What do you think, uh, Chris? Yeah, I don't. I don't know why he's crying. I do think it's whatever the verdict is. It is going to be that way. He gets back to Earth, but at the same time, that's kind of stupid because his whole plan was to escape anyway. So why, why like go through a trial just to send him back to Earth if he was trying to get there anyway? So I don't. I don't know. Um, 
I can't really figure out that tear because I, I thought I had that scene figured out until he sheds that tear. Then I was like, all right, now I don't know what's going on here. Yeah. But I think you might be onto something there that if, if Lady True could clone her mother, what's stopping her from if Adrian is her father, what's stopping her from cloning him, too? So I, you might be onto something there. Yeah. Um, all right, so a couple additional topics. Oh, wait, does that mean we're going to get, like, baby Adrian? <laughs> it's the new baby Yoda, the baby Jeremy Irons. <laughs> wow, I mean, talk about meme central. That I can't <laughs> wait to see that. Uh, unfortunately, in, in my theory, we've already missed that part of that life, unless we flash back to it, um, pulling, <laughs> pulling like, baby. Like Jeremy Irons normal head on a baby that's what i want to see yes pulled out of a lake oh god i can't wait uh (laughs) that would be incredible um so a couple things we haven't really talked about yet uh angela's flashbacks to her childhood like the the whole thing about um the origins of sister knight where that comes from this like black exploitation uh, VHS tape that she wants to see as a kid. Um, the Pedipedia entries uh, this morning indicated that that was part of. Oh God, I'm, I'm I should have written down the name of it. I want to say it was called like the Black Mask subgenre or something, um, according to Roger Ebert in this world, uh, because uh, Agent Petey, who's compiling all of this information, like is not able to actually watch the uh, the tape, the movie because home entertainment is not set up in in such a way in the 21st century uh, where you know this stuff is easily accessible so there's there's no like streaming service where he can watch this um, so he has to he has to uh, basically figure out Roger Ebert's review of it and sort of glean what he can from it that way um, so I just thought that was interesting like the whole thing about um, you know will Reeves uh, being inspired by a cinematic hero in in the form of Bass Reeves, this uh, black marshal in in this old western, and uh, now Angela, you know, who shares so many similarities with Will even before she knew that she was related to him, also being inspired by a cinematic hero of her own. I thought that was cool. Um, June's death, Chris. That was like the the show really, um, you know, set that up to be something only to to like whip the rug out from underneath us at the last second there. Yeah. I said this in my review that it's like, it's probably like the cruelest thing this show has done where, you know, June shows up, she takes Angela out of this like Dickensian orphanage where she's being abused and forced into, you know, sweatshop labor and they go to like a restaurant and they're everything. And she's like super warm to this kid. She's never even met before. And it it looks like, ah, Angela's finally going to have, this nice childhood. And then June immediately dies of a heart attack. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, darkly comedic, but it's really mean spirited. And I was, I was really taken aback by it. Yeah. That's a, it's a tough beat for Angela. You hate to see that. Um, Let's talk about uh, Agent Blake and uh, her, her whole storyline. She goes to confront uh, Judd Crawford's widow and basically learns that the widow is also a part of the seventh cavalry plan uh, the Seventh Cavalry is basically like a modern-day version of Cyclops, which is the uh, like sub-organization within the KKK that uh, Hooded Justice was was trying to um, overthrow uh, in last week's episode. And then um, Agent Blake goes through a trap door in the middle of the living room, and then uh, confronts uh, or Senator Keen comes out to to sort of lay out his big plan in like a James Bond villain monologue. Um, what did you think about that scene and, and maybe some of the meta aspects where uh, Agent Blake was basically like, 
you know, I don't give a shit about what you're talking about. Like, it's, you know, spare me the big speech, all of that stuff. How did you think all of that worked for you? Uh, I, I really, I mean, Jean Smart is killing it on the show. I, I loved her just general reaction and everything. I loved how she reacted to like there being a trap door in the living room. I thought, you know, all that worked really well for me. Um, I do think it's a way for the show to like have its cake and eat it too, by both, you know, going to a very cliched point while also pointing out how cliched it is. And that's kind of a cheat. Cause it's like, ah, we're going to, we need a way to have this villain explain himself. And we know how corny that is. And we're going to point out how corny it is, but we're going to do it anyway. And, you know, it, again, it, it's having their cake and eating it too, but I'm not going to complain too much because it worked really well. And I, I love uh, the, that actor whose name I don't have in front of me, AKA, you know, Bob from Mad Men. Oh, yes. I, James I, Wolk. I, yes. He really sells that. Uh, like, even though he, he he's basically like, a, a, you know, a walking embodiment of a Fox News caricature where <laughs> he has that whole line where he's like, ah, oh, I'm not racist, but it's really hard to be a white man in America right now. And he sells that line so well because, you know, that's the type of person you see on Fox News where they're so like oblivious to their own racism that they swear up and down like, oh, I'm not racist. I'm just, you know, I'm trying to be fair. And it's like, no, you're just racist and you, you, you know, you've been that way your whole life and you don't realize it. And he sells that scene so well with that like self-righteous smarm. So I, I really liked his performance there. Yeah, he's great. And we finally get a little bit more of an idea as to what the seventh cavalry's actual plan is, which is like to, I, I think to capture Dr. Manhattan, uh, probably kill him. I think they use the word destroy him and then become him. Um, uh, you know, uh, agent Blake, Laurie says to him something about like, uh, you know, becoming president or whatever, and he he says like president is uh, it, it, he essentially Small yeah, or something. yeah it's it's not enough power for him. He was thinking you know thinking bigger than that. So right. um, he he actually doesn't point out what their plan is. It's Lady True says they're gonna. Well, he just says they want to capture Doc Manhattan. He doesn't say what they want to do with him afterwards. It's Lady True who points out that their plan is to kill him and then become him. Although I'm not sure how that works. Okay, so I didn't remember that detail. So so then, is Lady True, she's not in league with them then? She just knows what their plan is? Or she is on the same side as 7th Cavalry? That's the one thing in the show that I'm, I think I would have to go back and, that, that I didn't get easily from first viewing. I, I think I would have to go back in and, and sort of drill down on some of those details to really have that hammer home, hammered home for me, is like the exact motivations of all of these people. It, it works really well in broad strokes, but I, when I try to to pinpoint these details and, and sort of settle everything in my mind, it's coming up as a little bit of a jumble. So what did you think about that? Is, is it clear that Lady True is on a different side than the people in the seventh cavalry? I mean, she sure wants us to think she is and she, you know, her whole plan is to stop them. So I guess, although at the same time, I don't know how she knows their plan unless she has like insider info. I mean, I'm sure since she's a billionaire with all this technology, it would be very easier, easy for her to spy on these people. So I'm sure if they want an explanation, they'll give us something like that. But yeah. uh, beyond that, I don't know. Okay. And then uh, the other thing that we didn't uh, touch back on last week was Looking Glass. So the, the week before that, the episode ends with, I think, five 7th Cavalry members rolling up to his house and, it, you know, guns, uh, guns drawn. It looked like 
uh, we may be seeing the end of Looking Glass, but uh, Agent Petey is in his bunker in this episode and uh, stumbles across these five dead bodies, one of them without the Rorschach mask. So it's pretty clear that, that Looking Glass survived. And uh, actually, I think somebody emailed about, uh, us about this. Let me pull it up really quickly. Um, somebody, who was it? It was Corey in Oregon said, Hey guys, I just read Chris's review of this episode and it was great as always. One thing I wanted to chime in with, when Agent Petey is checking out Looking Glass's bunker, he calls Lori Blake and he tells her he noticed one of the 7th Cavalry thugs had his Rorschach mask missing. I surmise Looking Glass has taken the mask and will infiltrate Keen and the Cyclops' organization to either help Blake or some other reason. So, yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking, too. Like, you know, I think the implication there is that we're going to see Looking Glass do something pretty badass right. while while donning this mask. Um, our own uh, our own Jacob Hall said in our, our slash film offices, aka Slack, that he wouldn't be surprised if Looking Glass is like already in that wherever in the in the mall. Well, that is the the Seventh Cavalry uh, stronghold wearing that mask. Like he's already embedded with them, waiting for his moment. The the big question I have is when he you know dramatically and probably inevitably rips off the Rorschach mask to uh, reveal his his true self in a, a moment of glory. Is the reflective mask going to be on underneath that? <laughs> like, is he wearing both, uh, one right on top of the other? I don't know. We'll have to see. Um, <laughs> the uh, the one theory, the sort of crackpot theory that I had about this uh, episode, and I, I want to throw it to you, Chris, to see if you had any crazy ideas too. But the one that I sort of came up with was because Looking Glass was just barely mentioned, and and we know he's armed with this Rorschach mask now. Do you think that there's a chance that he might become? The new Dr. Manhattan, it's, it's kind of um, implied in the show that uh, Senator Keene is going to be or, or maybe wants to be the one to, you know, step into whatever panels, you know, the, the 7th Cavalry has been building. Uh, there's been some rumblings um, in, in the background of the shows about how uh, intrinsic field generators like that term has been thrown around a lot. And I think they've I think the implication is they've figured out how to. Um, recreate Dr. Manhattan or create their own version. So in my mind, it would be like Keen thinks that he deserves to, you know, wield all of that power. But in in my theory, maybe Looking Glass uh, blows it up at the last second by like jumping through the, the portal before him and becomes, you know, this, this new Dr. Manhattan figure while wearing this Rorschach mask. Like uh, that might be an, an interesting visual. Um, what do you think about that? I mean, yeah, that'd be cool. I'd be down for that. Or uh, baby Jeremy Irons goes oh, through. Yes. With, like he, he waddles through on his baby legs and he trips and he falls into the thing it's, and becomes baby <laughs> Dr. Manhattan. It's like I always say, Chris, the only thing cuter than baby Jeremy Irons with a, a full-size Jeremy Irons head on a baby's body <laughs> is a blue baby Jeremy Irons with a full-size Jeremy Irons head on a baby body. So Right, that'd be uh, amazing. Yeah, I mean, that is, uh, the meme potential for that just skyrockets through the roof, so I, I can't wait. Make it happen, Lindel off. I, I know you're uh, And then we gotta talk about Lube Man really quickly, because the show has just, uh, it's teased us with this idea of Lube Man. He showed up for like 30 seconds, and we've never seen him again. He's, he's never really been mentioned again. Uh, I think Angela, like, goes into the police station and says something about, like, you know, who the hell was this guy, basically, and then and the show seems to have forgotten about him. We've we've you know speculated and theorized that maybe Lube Man is Agent Petey, who seems to have you know an obsession of his own with uh, masked heroes. 
Do you think that uh, Agent Petey's lube man, if that is indeed who it is, is going to come back in uh, maybe the next episode or the, or the one after that? Or do you think it's going to be like a one of the uh, mysteries that this show leaves dangling by the end? Man, a part of me just wants them to never bring it up again. Like they don't even like mention it, and the series ends, and everyone's just like, "What the hell was that lube man thing?" And we never find out. I kind of want that to happen, but that probably won't happen. Yeah, um, yeah. My my guess is that he's going to try to save Lori because I think uh, he's on the radio with her, and she says, "You know, I've got this one one more thing to do, basically." Um, and he's trying to he, he's like in the middle of a conversation with her and, and is trying to figure out where she is. Um, my guess is that he he dons his lube man suit and tries to go and save her. And maybe he rolls into that mall and then I, I think he's going to be so ineffective as a hero that he's like immediately captured and maybe just, uh, you know, becomes another um, another captive just, you know, sitting there tied up right next in a chair right next to Lori, maybe unmasked with his goofy ass lube man suit on. And she's just like berating him constantly as they wait to figure out what their fate is going to be and whether or not looking glass saves them or, or somebody else, or maybe Lori herself is, uh, you know, has the wherewithal to break out. And that would be interesting to see. So uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of questions, but um, uh, Chris, it sounds like you really enjoyed this episode though. Yeah, I, I love it. I love this show. I think this is the episode that, even though I was pretty much there already, this solidified that this is like, without a doubt, the best show of the year. I can't think of another show that blew me away that this much this year. It's just so good, and it's, it's working so well. And it it could have gone horribly wrong, but it doesn't. So I'm I'm really really happy with how things are turning out. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I've watched a couple other shows. I'm not going to say what they are recently, and just been so. Uh, bored and disappointed with them but then you know within the first few minutes of Watchmen like my wife and I looked at each other and, and we both sort of like breathed a sigh of relief like thank god this is actually a good show like here's something that we can really sink our, th- our teeth into that uh, that is working on on so many you know levels across the board so uh, I am thankful you know we're coming out of Thanksgiving I'm thankful for Watchmen and how amazing this whole thing has been so I, I'm enjoying our conversations about it and uh, I look forward to it every week so uh, we have two episodes left, and uh, I think HT is going to be back to join us for those two episodes, I think. Um, I know she's coming back from her Vietnamese vacation soon, so hopefully she'll be back uh, with us next week. Um, I guess before we go, let's tell people where they can find more of our work online. Chris, let's start with you. Uh, I'm at Slashfilm.com every day, and I'm on Twitter at Evangelista 413 You can find me writing at Slashfilm.com as well. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ben Pears, and you can find more about uh, Watchmen and all the stories that we mentioned on today's show at Slashfilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. I'll link uh, Chris's review and our Watchmen reference guide with all the Easter eggs to the graphic novel, so definitely check those out. Slashfilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site you can subscribe to the show on itunes google podcasts uh, overcast spotify all the popular podcast apps and again send your feedback questions comments and concerns and, and crackpot theories to us at peter at slashfilm.com make sure to leave your name and general general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air don't forget to rate and review the podcast on itunes tell your friends spread the word Thank you so much for listening. I'm not sure if we're going to have an episode tomorrow. If you guys have been following the Slash Film podcast feed, you know that we published a uh, Mandalorian recap episode yesterday. So we might take tomorrow off depending on how the everything shakes out. So in any case, uh, stay tuned. We'll have more content for you coming up soon. So thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. 